welcome to another episode of Black Boy Joy. You're here again with me, Ainsley. And also with me, Kieran. And yes, um, it's another special episode. Um, to celebrate Adoption Week, we are joined by Leon. He is a black gay single father. Um, he is an adoption advocate and a writer of a children's book. He's joined us here just to have a chat, just to have a kiki with us. Um, talk a bit more about uh, about the process of adopting and everything like that. So, very warm welcome to Leon. Hi guys, how are you? I'm doing well, thank you. Oh, it's like, welcome, welcome. Yeah. <laughs> thank you so much. Thanks for having me. It's like that time of the year when like any notion of like sun, summer or like sunshine is just completely gone now. Like my heating is turned all the way up. All the way up. Yeah. <laughs> I'm with you on that. I think yeah, we we've started putting our R's on as well. Say that yeah. again? We've, we've started putting R's on as well. I usually, I usually leave it till like late October, but I couldn't do that this year. Um, no. I threw in the I towel. <laughs> we just have to accept that summer's gone. I mean, it might get the odd decent day. Like today was a good day. I, mean, I'm, I don't know about where you guys are, but um, today was a good day. But essentially, it's it's winter now. Let's just you have to accept it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was out and about today, like with work, and it, uh, you are actually right. I'm like I work in Brixton, like southwest London. Okay. It wasn't it wasn't too bad there. Mm-hmm. But it's like it's that's not the issue. Issues like when you like get home from work, and like now, like I've got my heating on. I've got like my blankets here. <laughs> like, oh wow! <laughs> just for all you that can't see him, he's got like a proper granny blanket. I'm just gonna expose <laughs> him in his own podcast. You're wearing yeah. like a roll neck jumper as well. You it's know? Like, yeah. Cold. It's got... cold. The sun has gone in. But I'm I not playing wear... here. <laughs> I rarely wear jumpers indoors. If the heating's on, like I can't be wearing jumpers. I like but, a cozy uh... jumper. <laughs> when it's all stretched out, you can like pull the sleeves over the hands and just yeah, that's me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I feel like I should say like how I came into contact, how we came into contact with each other, Leon. So um, I think, I, I can't remember if it was you or me, I think, um, well, it was through our big sister, um, Liz Pemberton. Mm-hmm, yeah. I think, yeah, um, the black nurse manager, of course, one of our, um, yeah. one of our uh, previous guests, mm-hmm. who I think um, kind of like brought us into contact with each other. And as... Yeah. As soon as I saw your social media, I must have like messaged you within like five minutes of seeing it. <laughs> I think I found it like really inspirational. Mm-hmm. And like as a black queer man myself, a black gay man, I like I didn't know of any um, any any black gay men with children, especially like mm-hmm. people who are willing to be open and to talk about it. So mm-hmm. that was like yeah, that was um that was kind of like a big reason why we kind of got into contact and why we're probably sitting here now. To be fair. Okay. Um, yeah, I think I was speaking to Liz again. I, I, I met her on Instagram. I came across her on Instagram, should I say. We had a conversation and she mentioned I should check out your podcast. Yeah. So while we were actually speaking, I actually added you on Insta. And I think by the time I finished on the phone with her, then I got your message. Yeah, <laughs> 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 no, but it's good. I think it's... Um, Nice to have a podcast with myself with my friend. I think it's really good to kind of have these conversations, have this platform that kind of celebrate us as a community, you know, as black gay men. And um, I'm always passionate about 
shining a positive light on black fathers, but I guess obviously I'm a gay man, so black gay fathers, because as I'm sure you you can agree, black dads have had quite a bad, uh, a, a tough ride, let's say, over the over the decades, even from us, from our community as well. Mm-hmm. So whenever mm-hmm. I can see, whenever I see like a, a positive black dad, gay, straight, whatever, I'm always happy to kind of shine, shine a light on that. Yeah. Um, do you want to like say something about like how you kind of like got like into the adoption process? Like what was it that made you wanted to adopt and stuff like that? Yeah. So um, I'm 41 now. Um, I wanted to adopt from God. I always say probably around like 18, it kind of came into my mind, 18, 19, that I wanted to adopt. Never knew that I could, never knew how I was going to get there. But it was something that was in my mind from then. So it's quite a long time ago, um, over 20 years. Um, I even know that gay, gay guys were allowed to adopt. But and mm-hmm. the, the funny thing is, I always saw myself as a single adopter as well, which is really bizarre. Um, anyway roll forward many many years obviously I started to do some research and then I think in the last probably five years I started to put the wheels in motion um my process was super easy I've met a lot of adoptive parents and some of them were in the process for like two three four plus years mm-hmm. um I think it's really worth mentioning that from me picking up the phone and like having no clue and literally saying you know I'm interested in being a doctor what do I do to me and be actually matched with my child it's around about 12 months, which is quite quick. Mm-hmm. Um, that includes like around a six, seven month period of intense paperwork and questions. I mean, they want to know everything, and um, which is fine, but it is very intrusive. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, kind of did that, went to panel. You have to have a panel to approve you to be an adopter, and then another panel when you find your child. So, yeah, it was super, super quick, super quick. Do you feel it's um, easily accessible? Like if someone chooses to go down that path, um, would the process put anyone off, do you think? Or is it quite... Yeah, I think it's a good question. Good that you asked that. Um, at the moment, I could call myself kind of like an advocate. I just gave myself that title, basically, because I just like to speak about it. But I think, you know, I'm really passionate about encouraging people of colour, um, black people, um, mm-hmm. to to adopt because black boys are the highest demographic of children within the care system waiting to be adopted. Black adopters are the least likely to come forward. So there's a huge disparity. Um, There's lots of what I think cultural blockages amongst us as a community, silly reasons why we don't adopt. To answer your question, I think the thing that would discourage a lot of people of colour coming forward is the process. It is very intrusive. And you know what we're like, we don't want people in our business, especially mm. if it's one of the people. <laughs> and we don't, we know we're quite culturally, we're quite private and we don't trust the system. You know, I was having a conversation mm. with somebody senior at one of the adoption charities recently. And I said, you have to look at the history um, in terms of, you know, that institutional racism and how people of colour have been treated. There's a, a story that I always tell. Um, there's a thing called Mongolian blue spots, which a lot of black and mixed kids get when they're born. Almost looks like a birthmark, but it's a bit like bluey green colour, hence mm-hmm. the name Mongolian blue spots. In the, I think it was around the 70s and 80s, there was an influx of social workers just turning up at people of black people's houses, basically questioning if their kids have got bruising or how they got these things, not realising that actually it's almost like a birthmark, Mongolian mm-hmm. blue spot. These have been wrongly, um, I guess, diagnosed. So again, even small things like that, you know, you're quick to kind of turn up at people's houses and ready to take their kids 
when this is this is this is medical. So there's a history of us not trusting the system. So to answer your question in a long-winded way, I think that is one of the reasons why, as a community, we we kind of don't come forward. Mm-hmm. I think personally, one of the reasons. The whole so like. I feel like to like someone who like does nothing about it, it seems like a complete minefield, like going from maybe picking up the phone and saying that you're interested in thing <laughs> to actually like taking your child home. Yeah, I think the thing, like I said, I, I, it was something that was in my mind for over 20 years, you know, mm-hmm. I did a lot of reading, a lot of research. Um, I actually started to do a placement at a children's play centre. Um, in the few months leading up to me applying because you need kind of childcare experience and apart from you know having experience with like friends and families kids it doesn't really cut it because most people have kids around them in some capacity but actually working in a a play centre voluntarily every other week that added to things I really I don't want to blow my own trumpet but because I I wanted to do it so much I made sure that I read up and I planned so I kind of I feel like I kind of sailed through with very few on no issues right there some yeah. people to give you some scope some people had you know three to four different social workers throughout their process before they even had a kid it's quite a yeah. transient um, industry mm-hmm. so i was lucky in that aspect okay i think i probably wrong you under the impression that like you'd have to foster before you could adopt in america it's like that in mm-hmm. certain states you have to foster to adopt for like 13 months or something crazy like that Mm-hmm. Um, and if, if you're a foster care obviously you can you know adopt or apply to adopt the child that you're fostering but now in the UK it's, it's very very different okay does that so the American system does that replace a kind of childhood um, sorry child care experience kind of quota requirement the the how they do things over there is, is very, very different. I'm not like fully clued up on all of it, but I've got, um, shameless plug, I've got a, another platform um, that I have for like gay black dads. Yeah. Um, and a lot, most of them are American. Um, I find that there's more gay black dads in the States than there are um, in the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not quite sure why. So that platform is called Black Gay Dads Global. Um, and what that is, it's like a community which I think it's weird as a gay parent. I think when you're not when you're in a majority white space, it is very different. I think it's complex being a black gay man who's a father. There's so many layers to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think um, having our own space is is so needed and it's so yeah. important. Yeah. Um, just to, answer, to answer your question, it doesn't replace foster care, but it's just very, very different out there in terms of how they do things, um, like the procedure. I think the UK, I have to say, is a lot more slick with the process. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, after the follow-up, the post-adoption support is fantastic as well. Here. Okay. Great. When you were going into the process, do you think there was anything of like you being a single gay father? Was there anything like any extra obstacles that was thrown in your path by them because of that, or no? A few people have asked that. I think for once in my life, being a black gay man actually worked in my favour. <laughs> oh, really? I think like I'm a bit of a unicorn. Everyone's like, "Ooh, like, oh wow, like it was so interesting." <laughs> I was like, oh, "Okay," so they're really you know playing on that, of course. Yeah. Um, but no, not at all. I, I think. I think it went in my favour. I was a bit of a novelty and still am, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so not at all. 
Okay, that's good. That's uh, that's great to hear. I think yeah, come sometimes when it comes to especially when you're working with like the system or you're working in like like with like government bodies or officials or just with anyone, I kind of mm-hmm. feel like we're going to be judged a bit more. I think again because of the disparity with the black doctors coming forwards. Yeah. Um, and I, there's a, a comment was made once. I don't, it, it wasn't from my social worker. I can't remember where I heard it, but it was almost like a, between you and I that they kind of they almost prefer gay adopters. Oh, that really? Mm. That's what that's what somebody said. I mean, don't quote me. That's good on a podcast. But um, it was almost like it gave. I think what it is because obviously we can't. We, we don't generally have kids the conventional way, let's say. So a lot of when when a lot of gay adopters and gay parents in general, it's, it's something that I feel like it's been in the back of their mind for a long time. So for example, me, I wanted to do it when I was like eighteen. Didn't know how or what, why, when, but in my head, I was going to adopt and I was going to yeah. be a single doctor. Um, and it just happened <laughs> that I became one. But um, yeah, I think you know it's it's weird. I mean, you no know, parenthood, brotherhood is such a such a journey, um, especially when you're doing it on your own as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, how long have you had your child? My little man, I've had him. I, I adopted him in April 2019. Mm-hmm. Um, so a year and a half now. It feels like about five years. Um, but yeah, it's a year and a half now. Yeah. Cool. With your approach to it, do you, do you kind of, do you select an age range that you're looking for? Are you quite open or how does it work with them? You can be, you can be very specific. And what's interesting, they always say, you know, don't be, um, you know, have an open mind because you just never know, um, you know, what type of child might come your way. I was like, no, 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 no. I want, you know, they always wanted a boy. I think it's just easier for a single guy to raise mm-hmm. a, a guy, a boy. Yeah. Um, Initially, I wanted around 12, 18 months because in my head, the younger the child, the better they're going to bond with you. Right, yeah. I didn't want any complicated backgrounds, um, no, move, no, no multiple moves because obviously you know, there could be with different carers and foster care and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. In the end, I got a four-year-old. I was a sixth person that I lived with, um, yeah. which when you think about it, at the age of four years and three months to live with five previous people that's quite a lot you know that's the old, yeah yeah um, in, in in the middle of that there was also a failed adoption so he was adopted but then that broke down and then right. there was massive um significant huge um drug substance misuse misuse during pregnancy so i what i wanted and um <laughs> what, and what i what i went for in the end it was totally my choice yeah um, the minute i saw his picture i just knew i just knew mm. he was massive I just knew it was so instant. Right. Okay. The more I heard about him, and I think my social worker was almost like, "Oh God, I don't want to tell you this because it's kind of opposite to what you've been saying. You don't want all these months." But the more she told me, I obviously was overcoming so much emotion because it was quite a, a complex story, and I just felt like, "Oh my God, this little man!" Like I just wanted to, I just wanted him from that second, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So that like I. To use a crude term, is it like a matching process with you and your son? Yeah. So once, so basically, we, we, there's a once you're approved, there's two panels that you that you go in front of. One panel is to approve you as an adoptive parent, mm-hmm. and the other panel is like a matching panel. 
Um, so once I was approved as an adoptive parent, I got access to a site called Linkmaker. And I hate using this as a comparison, but it's just easier mentally. Linkmaker is basically like a, a Tinder, which sounds hideous. But yeah. what I mean by that is you've got lots of profiles of, of children and a little bit of a blurb, and you mm-hmm. literally can scroll through. Right. And if there's a child that you think would be suitable, you you know press on a button and then your information gets sent to their social worker that you're interested in. It kind of happens that way. Right. Um, ironically, there was a little boy actually that um, I could see myself in, I could see, you know, in my home, it actually looks a little bit like me as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I requested, you know, I showed interest and then his social workers didn't really get back um, for ages. Granted, it was kind of over Christmas, it was in December, but still there was just nothing. Yeah. Um, I was like, okay. And then I... I always felt like I was cheating if I, if I went on, if I expressed interest in another child, I felt like a bit guilty, like, oh my God, like, yeah. but when I saw my son, I was just like, oh, okay, like, you, this is my son, like, the feeling that, the difference in feeling that you feel, you can't explain it, Yeah. Um, and the social workers actually said, when, when you see your child, you'll know, so keep an open mind, forget about age, forget about all that, when you, when you see your child, you'll know, and she, she was right. Okay, that's amazing. That's interesting. So it's like sort of instinct kind of thing, like, like a... Literally, a I love that. Yeah. It sounds like really cringy, but it literally was, I like, just... And the thing is, it's really quite bad because you're making your assumptions essentially on, on a couple of photographs. Um, but it's really when I got to read a lot of the background history and it was, as I said, it was quite heavy. And I just got overwhelmed with emotion and I think I just really felt connected you know mm, yeah um, and then once obviously so once you know you know your, your social worker meets the child's social worker because obviously the, the adopter has a social worker and the child also has their own social worker mm-hmm. it's kind of like your people speak to my people type thing and yeah, then, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> come and do a home visit um, yeah and it, it was pretty the, the thing what what i think is worth mentioning is you don't actually normally get to meet the child before you before you are matched with that child and actually select the child. So essentially, throughout this whole process, normally you make your selection based on a piece of paper and some photos. Mm-hmm. I was one of the rare people that got to do what's called a bump into meeting, where I actually got to see him before, but usually you wouldn't see the child before, which a lot of people find quite strange. And I I felt quite, I'm so glad I got to meet him because I was just like, see, I'm basically deciding I'm gonna have a child for life based on a piece of paper. Like, yeah. Mm. If I don't click, you know that like some people you don't, you might, you know, you might just don't like some people. It's human, yeah. isn't it? Like you might, yeah. you know, even if it's like a date type setting, you might see someone, might have a good picture, you meet them in person, you're like, oh, do you know what it's I mean? Like, yeah. Chemistry, isn't it? Yeah, yeah and it's the same thing. This is, this, yeah. this is a child for life. Like I can't be making, I can't be making a decision on a piece of paper. Do you know what I mean? This is mm. serious things. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but luckily. I got a chance to do a bump into a play centre. And I must admit, when I first, I mean, he was so tiny. I remember him, he was so tiny. And he had, because he's got such a big character and personality. Mm-hmm. And this little man was such a big, like, so big and bold. And mm-hmm. it was I always told this story. Like, I went, I saw him, and obviously I was speaking to his foster care and stuff. And he basically just looked at me. She goes, Oh, look, this is my friend from London. He's come up. Because we had to pretend like we didn't. Obviously, he didn't know the deal. Yeah. I, I was like a long lost friend. Yeah. Um, and he just looked at me and he's like, Do you want to play with me? And I was like, uh, I didn't know. I couldn't, I didn't know what the deal was. I just thought it was just going to be observing. So I was like, Okay. Yeah. And they took my hand and we were off. And I almost feel like that was 
that was it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Mm. It was so magical, honestly. And I was playing with him and it was a really weird scenario because obviously I'm like, you know, playing interaction thinking, oh, this could be my child. Like I'm trying to think, can I see how my friend's son going to get with him? And can I imagine him at my grandma's house? Like it was a really weird, that like, all these like, yeah. it's yeah. quite like a natural situation. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I like the power to decide. You know, almost not. Yeah. wasn't presented like that, of course. But in my mind, the meeting was for an hour. So when I left that meeting, I needed to kind of like, well, you know, can you see this as your son or not? So, but I, I could. I was thinking, this child has got so much energy. Like, mm. I don't know what I'm going to do about this. But um, you know, you, you, you get used to it. <laughs> it's all got the energy. Yeah. Jesus. So, so what you're saying is, so you kind of like matched with him and you got the chance to meet him before you can kind of like make the final decision to have like to to have him as your own mm. child kind of okay that's mm-hmm. that's great i wonder what like now that so you've uh, been through the process you've adopted mm. your son your son mm-hmm. and i was wondering like what it's like like how you like make because obviously even no matter how prepared you can be for it, how many books you can read or anything that, it's still going to surely turn your life, like, in all sorts of, like, ways and states. Upside down. Yeah. (laughs) 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 I mean, I went from being a workaholic, single, um, doing my own thing, um, to just having a very, very, very energetic four-year-old um, mm-hmm. bouncing off the walls 24-7. Like, there's no rule book for parenting. The good thing about being an adopter is you go, you know, you have a lot of information on courses, different parenting styles. So I, I feel like all parents should go through the same process, mm-hmm. um, personally. Yeah. Um, we've got access to a lot of helpful stuff, a lot of tools. But essentially, you know, there's, you know, when he's in our house, my house, it's it's... It's showtime, you know, you have to, you can't be, you're not going to be like, oh, actually, one second, let me just turn to page yeah. 47 just to see what to <laughs> <Yeah>. do here. <laughs> like, you have to roll with it, you know? Yeah. And it is trial and error, and I think, you know, coming from a, obviously, Jamaican background, you know what it's like, um, our, our parenting is quite hardcore, and yeah. I feel that um, <laughs> that isn't conducive to a child that's suffered developmental trauma and has been passed from pillar to post, you know, you have to adjust certain things. You have to kind of take that bass out of your voice, um, keep your hands to yourself, yeah. um, <laughs> and, and approach things in a different way. So that's been quite challenging, if I'm honest, because my default parenting is to switch to that that, that typical black parenting style yeah, that I like. I can that yeah, I imagine it already. <laughs> but, you know, even like this week, I was saying um, before we started recording, you know, it's been a heavy week at school. Like, he's just every single day, um there's been an issue and I just think it's really tricky because you know with children like him it's not always things are always just plain sailing mm-hmm. you know it's not always black and white mm-hmm. and I, mm-hmm. I don't want to be like oh it's because he's adopted oh it's because of his past but generally it usually is because of that there's yeah. triggering things that come up you know, even yeah. like not, in his words, you know, not having a mummy, why, why have I not got a mummy? Why have I not got a proper family? Why have I not? Like, he's, he's seeing his friends and the people around him and knowing that he's different. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, it, it, you know, he can't, you know, he understands the situation because, you know, he remembers certain things. So he knows he's adopted and all that type of stuff. But yeah, it, it, it's hard for a little, for little boy to kind of understand yeah. you know, the difference. They just want to be like their friends, don't they? 
Yeah, of yeah. course. Yeah. That sounds really tough, actually. <laughs> so I see the ki- all, all the kids back at school at the moment. I can't remember what the latest was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So they're back at stuff. school. Touch wood. I hope it stays in touch piece of wood because you know what? I can't be dealing with this lockdown business as possible. <laughs> <laughs> it's too much. So they're all back for, for now. Yeah. Long may continue. Um, happy days. So when COVID was like, let's say we were like cast our minds back to like March, like 2020, yeah, yeah. April, oh, I, can, I can see your face expression already. <laughs> COVID is a blood star, let me tell you that. So <laughs> were you like, so I assume your son was like at home, like full time, were you having to like teach him and parent him and like work at the same time? So I was the first week and a half were just comes it was it was a, it was a tricky time. No one knew what was going on, you know. Mm. There's lots of pressure on homeschooling, homeschooling, homeschooling. I think we should, you know, first of all, it's not homeschooling. None of us are teachers out here. It's home learning, and I feel like it was quite competitive. You see parents, you know, posting up their little daily planners and their weekly planners, what they're going to do today. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, firstly, I'm dyslexic, so I, I struggle with learning at the best of times anyway. And secondly, that doesn't work for everybody. Like, don't, it's not a competition, boo. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. There's no trophy for the best, <laughs> for the best daily planner, you know? And I, I did feel really pressured and I was having to work, I was having to do that. And, you know, you've got to understand, kids don't always associate the home environment with learning. Mm-hmm. Like, it's what you eat, you play. You have good you know, family time, you create memories. So to almost flip the switch overnight, flip the script, sorry, overnight, and be like, okay, right now we're going to do maths. It's like, uh, yeah, okay. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm in my yard, yeah. And then, you know, I'm not a maths teacher and I'm not the most patient person as everybody who knows me knows. So, you know, sitting around or English or whatever it may be, like sitting around the, the you know, that, in a, creating that classroom environment in, in the home, mm-hmm. it just wasn't working. And I, and I said to myself, you know, I said to my boss, I'm really struggling with this. And you know, she, she's got kids, she's got twins, so she gets it. And she was really supportive and understanding. And um, I actually hit the home learning on the head quite early on, felt yeah. so guilty. But I just thought this is an already stressful situation. I'm not gonna make it any more stressful for me or him. He's an intelligent child in the sense of he's bright, he's articulate, he's got a fantastic personality and sense of humour, he's so warm and loving and articulate. You know, he's good, he'll catch up, you know? Mm-hmm. And also, you can't really compare kids at this age. He's, he's five now. You can't really compare kids at this age because they're so different. Yeah. And yeah. I think what's more important is this time that we're having together. Yes, it was stressful, because don't forget, everything was clothes for, for at one point you know mm-hmm. and um even going to the supermarket in the early days i felt really uncomfortable and i was like you know don't touch anything when you go in there keep your hands to yourself yes yeah. papa yes papa get into the store why touch not the things why touch <laughs> i was so vexed like why are you touching the things like why oh but, uh, no there's no box don't touch it like you know and the thing is He's a child, though. You can't get that militant. But everyone was anxious, right? Yeah. So even going to the shop was was long. Thank God for Ocado, man, because, boy, oh, <laughs> it, was, yeah. it was a lot. I, I did, I'd never really touched um, home delivery from supermarkets until lockdown. Because mm. um, I, I used to do my shopping, like, during the night time. I got a 24-hour mm. supermarket. But all the supermarkets started doing, like, 
eight or eight or something like that. And then mm. you go. I, I see people on, on Snapchat and Instagram and they'll they'd be queuing first thing in the morning, like two meters apart to go in. Absolutely. I can't imagine doing that with a family in tow. Like, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, the thing is, going shopping with a child is just a nightmare anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, any mm-hmm. form of shopping, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, worst supermarket. I mean, I don't drive, so I, 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 I often opt for online anyway. Yeah. Like food shopping, but oh my god, can I have this? Can I have that? Can I have this? Can I have that? Yeah. The thing is, I don't mind as such. I want him to refine his palate because he's quite a fussy eater, but it, it can get it's just it's easy if you just either do it on your own when, yeah, when it's like a little weekly from the supermarket or just get your online. It's so much easier, you know? yeah. The only thing they don't do is you know put it in the fridge in the cupboards, but hey, you know, you never know. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering, um, obviously, now that you've had, obviously, you have your child now, I was wondering mm. if you have, like, what of us, like, support system around you who, like, helping you? So, um, interesting question. So, part of the process is to really kind of highlight who you've got in your network, who's close mm. to you, mm-hmm. um, because it really does help. Mm-hmm. Um, all my family are up north. Obviously, I'm in London. A lot of my family... Or up north my sister is in Essex um so it's not a million miles away but you know everyone's what I noticed is you know pre-adoption you had a, had a lot of offers and oh, I'll be around I'll babysit I'll do this I'll do that yeah um you know it takes a village to raise a child la, la, la. yeah yeah I mean hello where's the village hey, hello <laughs> <laughs> um, you know I'm not I, you know I have I have had some problems not because I've not got nobody that's a lie um, but that, that's the one thing that I would change more support, especially local. Yeah, um, you know, I've had various friends throughout the period who have been great. Um, so I have kind of felt the love and had the support. I just wish that it was more consistent. Yeah, and you know, I'm starting to get build a good relationship with some of the school moms. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's useful. I've got a neighbor actually. Um, we we became such good friends during lockdown. Shout out to Sherelle. She'd be happy. She'd be happy about that. Um, she she lives. I say neighbour, but she lives probably two or three streets up the road. It's about like a like a four minute walk or something. But mm-hmm. no neighbour. Um, she's got three kids, um, and one of them goes to the school. And she we really um, we've become quite close and she's like picked up my little one a few times and I picked up her little girl and like taking them to the library or the park until either one of us are ready and stuff like that is so useful yeah um, also sometimes when you just want to do you because yeah. I've, I've been single for most of my life and I've, I've always been quite independent yeah I was, um, gonna, I was gonna ask about that yeah, I, know you, I, know, I knew you were like I see you're gearing up to get on the <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, I, <laughs> but again, sometimes you just miss doing you, and, I, and I'm, I'm a really big advocate when it comes to self care. So, I love a little pedicure, I love a facial. Luckily, my lady comes to my house to do my facials, but even if it's just to just take a leisurely stroll around like Westfield or mm-hmm. not really go to Central too much because it's a bit chaotic, but I just like doing me sometimes. I just, yeah. just having someone to say. Like waking up on a Saturday morning, be like, look, can you have him for like three hours while I go and do my thing and come back? Just that luxury of having that you time. Yeah. Because, you know, I think what people fail to understand, I don't know, any, being any, a parent, any parent is a hard job, but being a single, a, a, a solo parent, let's say, mm-hmm. single parent, most single parents, you still have, generally, sometimes they have like another parent around to help out. 
but they yeah. get to sleep more full time. But you know, when you're a solo parent, it is really you on and, and the child's, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. and it's draining. It's a very mm-hmm. draining um, Rob, I mean, the best job that I've ever had. I love him so much. I couldn't imagine my life without him. Like when he's with my mum up north for like a week or so, I'm like, okay, what do I do now? I'm bored. Like, yeah. I'm like, I'll take him for a week. He's doing my head in. And then, yeah. God, the minute the car drives off, I'm like, oh, don't go. <laughs> um, so to answer your question, what were you, what, what were you going to ask me? Sorry, you said he was going to ask me. Is it in terms of that was something that was something else about like, what I was gonna ask you because um what the first question was about like you having some support mm-hmm. I guess the reason why I wanted to know because like we're, we're both from up north you're a bit further north than us like Kieran and I are from Birmingham that like, mm-hmm. um, we've spoken about before mm-hmm. and I've always thought this I'm obviously like in no position to have a child now mm-hmm. or anytime soon to be fair but I've always thought to myself that like if I were to have a child, I'd need to have my parents. Like, I, I really couldn't imagine like raising a child without my parents having like a really heavy involvement in the child's life. Or like, yeah, like, you mentioned that whole like being raised by a village thing. Mm. I feel like my me personally, I was raised by a village, so I had mm. my parents. Same. I had like my favorite uncle, my favorite auntie. I had like both sets of grandparents that were around. Same. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. so important to me that, like, I mm-hmm. think even though you're in you're in London, I'm sure you've mm-hmm. got like a, a big support system around you now. Yeah, yeah I think course, like for me, it'd be I think it'd be hard for me. Yeah, it'd be hard for me. It is hard, and the thing is, you know, though they're up there, you know, like my sisters in Essex, my mum, my dad, grandma, auntie, they're all in Sheffield. I've got friends. I've got a really close friend that we've been friends over twenty years. Mm-hmm. Um, he's in Sheffield. Um, so we do, I mean, we FaceTime regularly. Um, and, you know, I'll go up there, they'll come down here. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll leave the little man up there for like a week or so, um, just so I can get a break. Um, so I feel like they're, they're like, he definitely knows, like he knows his family, his cousins, he's got loads of cousins as well. Mm-hmm. We do FaceTime. So obviously he doesn't see them like, weekly but like we you know we go up and they come down and he definitely gets excited to go up to grandma's and granddad's so i feel like that he still has that notion that we had mm-hmm. i think what you're saying that you struggle um if you don't have your parents around you i feel like i've always been quite independent anyway yeah and i you know i'm i'm an older parent not older but i'm 41 um and i feel like I kind of, I think because I've known that I want to do it for such a long time. Mm-hmm. Like I've got a really close friend and she said, I can't believe how you've just gone from being this single social butterfly and just doing your own thing to just, you just slid into the role so seamlessly. And she said, it's just like you've been doing it from day one. Mm-hmm. But I think subconsciously, because it's something that I've wanted to do from day one. Mm, yeah. I knew what I was getting myself into. So I tend not, I try not to moan too much because... Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I knew I was getting myself. I knew I wanted to do this. I always saw myself as a single parent. Yeah. So it is what it is. So yeah, I guess that led that leads to the next question I was gonna ask. Is like, <laughs> like, are you like, like, what is your social life like? Are you allowed to? Can you well, date? What's one of those? A social life? What's one of those? I have no social life. <laughs> um, to put it bluntly. Uh, but to be fair, even before he came, I'm not trying to blame him because I, I was a bit of a, a kind of, I mean, I didn't really, I've not really done the whole scene for ages. Um, mm. For me, a perfect night out is like, go to a cute restaurant, get some cute cocktails, then come back to mine or somebody's for like a little impromptu house party. Um, that's 
I love that. And you know, I have had that sounds good, yeah. Yeah, that's just me all over. <laughs> my house is, was always the party house. Like my kitchen is like the, the party spot. Um but you know, in terms of dating and stuff, um I, I definitely said I wanted to give myself like a full year with him before I really focused on anything like that because you know he's been through a lot and it's a big mm-hmm. adjustment for me and to, to even entertain somebody else. It'd just be a madness, you know. My mm, time is yeah. very limited, even now. Although, luckily, I've got the luxury of working from home, and I'm not having to travel in into work. But just, just being a parent is such a, it's, it's so intense. So you know, once I've put him to bed, his bedtime is usually between seven thirty to eight. Once mm-hmm. I've put him to bed, once he's actually sleeping, that could be up to an hour, hour and a half after I put him to bed. Mm-hmm. I've got no energy. If anything, do you know what I mean? Or anyone? I'm like <laughs> on my sofa, like. Comatose, thinking about my routine for tomorrow. Um, so, you know, I think if I was, if I was to meet, I'm open to meeting someone, but I don't think I'm, I'm once I'm actively, I'm definitely not actively dating or actively looking. But if somebody came across my path, they would need to be outstanding because right. I'm good. Do you know what I mean? I've got my house, <laughs> yeah. I've got my son. I normally say I've got my, you know, well, I've, I've obviously got my job, but it's different times now, kind of furlough times, COVID times, things, you know, that the, the, the money's not as it usually is. Um, but apart from that, you know, I'm, I'm set. I'm in a good position. So if you're going to mm-hmm. come into my life, you need to be amazing um, across the board. So I'm not going to, you know, people can grow on you, but I'm an empath. And I'm very into energies and I can read people real quick. And I oh, work in yeah. my day job. Yeah. So I can, I can sit in front of you and I can... You can be telling me one thing, but I'm like, mm, no. That's someone's bullshitting, yeah. Yeah, oh, big time. I can, I'm, they're, they're telling me, they're telling themselves, but I'm just up there thinking. Mm, 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 mm. <laughs> so I think if anyone comes across my path, they need to be outstanding because I owe it to myself and my child. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think we've all been there where you know, we question our self-worth and, you know, you know, who who we're going to be with and what that looks like. And I know my worth now and I, and I feel like if I'm going to, that just have to be outstanding across the board. Do you know mm. what I mean? I'm not talking about aesthetics because I'm, you know, a little bit too long in the two for that superficial shit, but it's just more characteristics and, you know, that presence and that gravitas. And, you know, I'm, I'm quite a, a strong-willed person. Um, I wouldn't say I'm an alpha male, but I've got alpha traits. Right. So someone needs to be quite assertive to really get my attention anyway. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. So, you know, we, we, we see. We, we live in hope, but, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's what it is. I think there's other things, there's more pressing things to worry about. You know, as you said, I'm, I'm in the process of self-publishing my first children's book, which is something that I'm really excited about. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Tell us a bit more about the book. I'll say, yeah. So the book is called You, Me and Lots and Lots of Love, um, which is something that I actually said to my little man quite a few times Mm -hmm. um, when he he moved in and when he was um, having difficulty, like, come to terms with his, you know, family and, you know, why has he not got a normal family and why have I not got a mum? And so, you know, you have got a mum. She just wasn't able to keep you safe and look after you properly. And that's why, you know, you came into, you know, foster carers and they was protecting you until you found a forever family. So this is like the language what they teach us. And, right, yes. and I said, you know, in our house is you, me, and there's lots of lots of love and that's all we need. And that kind of 
it derived from that. Yeah. The reason why I wrote the book, um, it was really interesting. One night after story time, bedtime story time, I was sat, um, sat in my front room and I was just on my phone. And it just came to me. I've always liked creative writing, despite being dyslexic and despite sometimes having quite bad grammar <laughs> and, and punctuation and stuff. I've always loved writing, creative writing. Mm-hmm. And I think it's worth mentioning, like, you know, there's only 4% of um, children's books that were published in the UK last year that um, included a BAME character. I don't really like the term BAME, um, but just to make it easier and put it in context, you know, there's yeah. only 4%, yeah. which oh, is wow. quite a low number, a percentage. Also, you've got to understand, when you've got, like me, for example, I've got an adoptive child, I'm a single parent household. Most books are white mum, dad, brother, sister. So again, when he's struggling about not having a conventional family and I'm reassuring him that our family is normal, you go yeah. to pick up a book and again, yeah. that's reinforcing <laughs> that our family isn't normal because A, they yeah. don't look like us. I mean, they don't, they're just not, not like our family. Yeah. So, you know, you can obviously get diverse books and stuff like that. But again, you have to really go out of your way to find them, which I think in big, big 2020, do you know what I mean? That should be yeah. the case. Yeah. Um, even books about adoption, it's usually like, you know, two foxes adopted a squirrel or some bullshit like that. And <laughs> that's, that's, like, is that a thing? Yeah, no, that's oh, wow. a thing. Like, they, they tried to put it in, um, they tried to put it in like child friendly, like in a child friendly way. But again, it's not, can they relate to that? Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's loosely based on our adoption journey. Mm-hmm. Um, the characters are kind of, um, Based on us, they look a little bit like us, but I didn't want them to look exactly like us, but just, you know, based on... Um, and it goes through, you know, some big emotions that children feel. Um, and it's based about a dad who really, really wanted a, a little boy. And this little boy who, you know, had a big smile and, make every, and, made every, and makes everybody laugh, which he did and does. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just goes through different families. And I think the theme throughout the book, it actually gets repeated as everyone's different and that's okay. And yeah. he looks at his friends. Some of them have got, you know, same-sex families. Some of them have got um, dual heritage families. Like it's a very mixed, I basically tried to cover every ethnicity in the book. So the social worker's got a hijab, for example, obviously mm-hmm. Muslim. There's a Chinese character in there, black, white, there's a Rasta in there. There's a woman in full on African attire. Like I've really tried to, I don't think you're going to get a more diverse children's book than this. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I think it's worth mentioning, it's not for you know, black kids. It's not just for adopted children. This book is for every child. Every child should have a diverse book collection because, mm-hmm. you know, if your children go to school, they're probably going to have kids mm-hmm. of all races, kids with same-sex families, kids from single-parent families. Like, mm-hmm. that's the world we live in. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Yeah. So, so that, that's, that's what I'm working with. So um, it's hopefully going to be out later on. Well, it will be out, sorry. It will be out later on this year. Um, okay. Maybe around November time. Hopefully before Christmas for sure, but I'm not going to rush it because it's an important project. Yeah. Um, I'm already getting some really good feedback. I mean, um, I'm sure you guys will put the handle up on, on, on the ground. Yeah, but it's, for sure, yeah. It's lots underscore and lots um, of love. So lots and lots of love. Yeah. Um, it's lots. Um, I've had so much positive like feedback already just from yeah. uploading like, one image. 
I've had um, nearly 300 new followers on Instagram since Monday. Yeah. Um, a lot of people have been like sharing it and, you know, I'm just really blessed because I, I never thought in a million years, like, when I think about how my life was before, like really, children's... Yeah. About, like, who knew? Do you know what I mean? But yeah, that was great. Did you, is, it, is it illustrated? I think you yeah, mentioned yeah. pictures so, and stuff. Um, yeah, you can check it out after. I'll send, you, I'll send you the picture, actually. It's illustrated, and I've, as I said, the, illustrated, the illustrations have been quite specific, covering all different ethnicities and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I've even tried to capture his massive smile and that kind of love through the pictures. So, mm-hmm. I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm confident. I, I'm, I'm confident it's going to... It's going to do well. I'm looking forward to seeing it, yeah. Yeah, so, it's amazing. Sounds exciting, yeah. I'll send you a signed copy. <laughs> <laughs> You're <Thank> too you. <laughs> kind. <laughs> um, what I did want to say, actually, is about the book, and actually just about you in general kind of doing advocacy and, like, kind of, like, mm. uh, put, like pushing it out there, bringing it out. And I think, especially with um, lots and lots of love that you, like, created yourself, and I think it's one of those things that, like, if you don't see it already, then, like, you have to be the person to make it. Because, um, like, mm-hmm. and it sounds as if you've taken that on in, like, in, in your writing, in your, um, in your children's book anyway. And I think that's, like, Thanks. sorry, go. <laughs> no, go, go. I was going to give you a compliment. I was going to say that, like, I just think it's, like, really inspirational, like, it's really great. That's one thing that um, that's probably one thing that um, that has in common with pretty much every guest that we've had is that like mm-hmm. a lot of them have been in a place or been in space and time where like all the things around them haven't quite reflected the experiences that they've had or mm-hmm. or have been something that they've wanted to contribute that they have done. And it sounds if you've done this, you've done a really similar thing. And I just think that's, I think that's really great. I think that's like really inspirational without being too, um, too gassed up or anything. Gas me up. Shit, that's I'm here. <laughs> no, I think, um, sorry, I didn't, even quali- I didn't even question if we can actually swear on this podcast. I've been, been very potty mouthed. So I hope that's okay. I'll try to. Um, that's absolutely fine. Yeah, okay. you're really welcome to swear on the podcast. We've had like, yeah. we've talked about sex on the podcast before. We've talked about um, the sexual health before and um, and STDs. So yeah. <laughs> there's not much you can say on the podcast. But, um. I, I won't yeah. just um, but yeah, basically, I think it all kind of came organically during lockdown. As I said, this whole kind of thing and just like speaking to different people. Like I was really I had a really good call, obviously with Liz, who's you know as I said, super inspirational. As you know, amazing. Mm-hmm. I had a call with um, a wonderful lady called Laura. She's the creator of Jojo and Grand Grand, which is um, the first kind of black British animation on CBBS. Um, I've been in touch with a couple of adoption charities. Um, so I'll be doing some webinars and stuff um, coming up, podcasts, um, just like some gay platforms like across social media. Um, I'm doing a takeover Um uh, for Frollo app. Frollo is basically like a single parent community. Mm-hmm. Um, that's coming up towards the end of October. Um, and it's basically just, I take over Instagram stories for a day. So I want to make sure that that is fire because obviously I want to kind of <laughs> use that as a platform to promote my, my book. And I guess this brand that organically is developing, you know, I'm, I'm really, really passionate about it. I think, you know, since lockdown and since the whole 
everything what happened with, with George Floyd in America, as tragic as it was to see, you know, one of our brothers like murdered mm-hmm. live in front of our very eyes. It's just really kind of, I think it just really pushed me to live my truth a little bit and do some, in, I'll focus on things that are quite meaningful. Yeah. Um, obviously I've still got my day job and I, and obviously I do enjoy that, but at the same time, you know, being a, being a dad and, you know, being a doctor, being a gay black man, I just feel like there's so much more that I can do. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes when you're working, especially if it's like a corporate organisation or the corporate world, or to be honest, let's just call it what it is in a majority white space, sometimes you can almost forget that and just get caught up in it. And I just feel like there's so much I can do. You know, mm-hmm. there's so much I can mm-hmm. do. And while I can do it, I, I want to do it. You know? Yeah. I think um, actually in one of the, in the podcast with Liz, one of the things that um, I really took on because I was asking her kind of like in like in this vein, in this like time that we're in, when we all think about like our black lives, we obviously mentioned George Floyd, you mentioned like um, all the protests that have happened and kind of like, what what can we do? Like what more can I do? What more can Kim do? What more can we do as a podcast? And mm-hmm. um, one thing that Liz said, like a good bit of advice that she gave is that like, there's nothing really for us to do like the best thing that we can do as like black people, as queer people, is try and live our lives as openly as possible and as proudly as possible. And everything that we've got to share, just do that, like I said, like openly and proudly. And I think that's one of the things that you're doing now. And it seems as if like the lockdown, I think pretty much for everyone, for like, for anyone who like had the eye on something creative, is like, that's the time that they've really used to kind of like hone onto it and like, start things so mm-hmm. we've had the black nurse manager we've got your um your book lots and lots of love i feel like even our podcast have moved in a bit of a different direction now because we've just had like so much time mm-hmm. and because we are recording remotely now that we've been able to reach people and have conversations that we just we really would not have had before like we didn't mm-hmm. think on this we wouldn't on this vibration on this wavelength before mm-hmm. so that's um, yeah. a good thing I get it. I think you hit the nail on the head. I think there's just, with time, you get a chance to reflect mm-hmm. and think and, you know, kind of prioritise. And I, I hear what you're saying about what Liz said, there's not much we can do, but I still feel that there's, there's stuff that I can do now. And I don't have, like, the platform that Liz has or the platform that other people have, and that's fine. But I just, it's just the things that I want, I feel like I want to do. Yeah. So, you know, like, encouraging more people of colour to adopt because, you know, mm-hmm there are our kids are in care and they need to be adopted and you know maybe our people feel a bit when it comes to social services and maybe dealing with people who are not relatable to them may feel a bit like "Mm." but if they've got somebody who's looks like me or you know looks like them even let's say and sounds like them and can relate to them then that might be a bit more welcoming for them you know Um, so important representation is everything like it is literally everything you know we need to see ourselves in certain spaces or it can kind of automatically it's like you're telling yourself that you don't belong there or you can't do something you know mm. it's ridiculous yeah i think you were, you were saying earlier um just some stats on sort of the kids that are adopted the least uh you said it was like sort of black males so um, black, who, black boys are the highest demographic of kids in the care system right okay and yeah. black people black families mm. single families whatever they're the least likely to come forward to adopt. There's a huge disparity. Yeah. And, you know, you get things like transracial adoption as well, mm-hmm. which I think, you know, that's, that's a very emotive topic. That is a very emotive topic. And mm. 
it's 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 a tough one. It's a tough one. <laughs> I can see it. Is, yeah. I think it's, yeah. It's, <laughs> I think because it's often that, oh, it's better for them to be adopted than to be just in the care system or the foster system. But at the same time, you need, like, you just, you need someone that looks like you to take you through life, I think, if you're, when you're young. I, yeah. I think just, you hit the nail on the head, um, Kieran. I think, you know, when I think about what my little boy has been through and, and other children that I know have been through, no child deserves that, you know? Mm. Every child needs love, consistency, nurturing, um, those memories. You know, when you think back to some real happy memories, whether it be at Christmas or Sunday dinner around the family table and that chaos, mm. like three cousins to one bed and summer holidays, everybody, like everyone, everyone, every child deserves that as a minimum, right? Yeah. Um, but, as you said, you know, if it can be quite damaging. Identity is so important, especially for for us, especially mm-hmm. for black boys. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Black black children, but black boys, that like identity is so important. And I don't always feel that again, I need to think how I'm gonna articulate this because I don't want to offend anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like there's not enough maybe always work done by by some social workers maybe to really kind of push on what are you going to do as a, as a Caucasian parent yeah. raising this black or mixed child. And I always use my same little one line and it's true. Going to Notting Hill Carnival once a year and eating jerk chicken and watching the floats go by is not enough. That's not yeah. enough. <laughs> um, it's you, you know, it's true. <laughs> some people, no, but that, for, for some people, that them doing their bit for their child, absolutely not. You need to understand yeah. about the history, the culture. I mean, mm. black history is so rich. A lot of people like mm-hmm. to focus on slavery and all the trauma that we've been through, which is a huge part of our history. Mm-hmm. But we're, we're, we're not just slavery. There's so mm. many like fantastic people and, 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 and things about black culture. And, and it's such a rich history from the food, music, fashion, entertainment, mm-hmm. like, you know, inventors, like, do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And, and it's, yeah. it's about educating yourself on stuff like, like that as, as, as a bare minimum thinking yeah. about who's in your network you know mm. how many black friends do you have yeah. Um, yeah who you know who do you have who you know can take your child if like an afternoon they can go and play with their kids and you know be in that house and be in that environment you know smell that yeah. coconut cream with the rice and peas cooking the pot those are memories and those smells and mm, yeah. this is what this is what they we need mm-hmm. do you know what I mean yeah. Um, I, I don't think enough of that is done. Mm-hmm. When you thinking about hair care, yeah. my little boy, when he came to me, or when I, when I first met him, his hair was dry, like crispy. Like, well, going for the air oil. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. what's going on? Mm. Even down to his skin. Um, and it wasn't his foster carer's fault, you know, essentially. They, they just, they're not always... Um, to date on things, so you know, I, to yeah. see what I think it's just, it's just what it is. It's it, mm. it is tricky, as you say, but I feel like I'm absolutely against any kind of colorblind approach to um raising kids. Mm-hmm. I, I, all mm. we need is love. Like, obviously, you need love, but you need that cultural mm. connect. I also feel again, like you said, I don't offend anyone who might be listening, but I think if you don't have many people in your in many black people in your social circle, you've got no business adopting a, a black child either. As I said, controversial. Um, <laughs> in this space, 
We've just got to say how I feel. Like, uh, <laughs> fine. I mean, hey, it's your podcast. Do what you're doing. Um, it's. I think in the states, it's very common. If I'm yeah. honest, you see a lot of white gay men with black young boys. Yeah. Um, oh boy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a separate podcast. You know, yeah, yeah, but I think what whole that segment, all children love nurture and a permanent home, and providing that that injection of culture is there mm-hmm. and and it's dominantly, I don't see this. I don't think there's anything. I'd, I'd rather that than a child to have eleven foster carers. And yeah, yeah, and I, as I, a black agreed. child, yeah, feeling, feeling that rejection. Yeah, you know, the, the, the rejection from their birth parents. Mm-hmm. the rejection from the various foster carers mm-hmm. already starting life on a downhill slope. Now that is sad and that, that yeah. is damaging. Mm-hmm. So when you look at the other, the flip side of it, yeah. do you know what I mean? So oh, I, yeah, what's the best solution? Yeah. I think, so in theory, I don't think I have a problem with like, with like trans-based adoption. So with let's say mm-hmm. a white family adopting a black, mm-hmm. a black child. But I think for me, um, what the issue is that obviously if you adopt a black child, there are a lot of things that go with it that we mentioned, mm-hmm. like that their culture, um, anything like even like purely aesthetically, so their hair, their skin, um, different part, like depending on like where they come from, what the upper is, things like that, mm-hmm. that they really need to know about, that parent needs to know and they need to educate their child on it. So when they step mm-hmm. out into the world, they're not completely ignorant on their culture. But if they are, mm-hmm. it will co- it will come back to them, and, and that's on them. Yeah, that's on them to them. Yeah, and it's I also think. I, I, sorry, sorry. No, no, it's fine. I was going to say just to quickly. I was, I was speaking to one person, and um, they were saying, "No, no, I don't. I don't there should be more like mentors in the black community. There should be more." And I just thought, uh, "No, boo. Like that's that's on you. That was your decision." Yeah. Um, so it's not for somebody else to mentor you on on how to do your child's hair or or what what moisturizer you should have done you should have mm-hmm. you know you should have really looked into all that before mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. or at least make sure that you have those black people in your life in your in your circle mm-hmm. that you can learn from like mm-hmm. to say you don't like, there's no mentors in the black community I, no. Yeah. What are they expect? I'm not sure what they're expecting. They say, yeah. <laughs> "What someone's going to come round to the house or something and sit them down and like, do a yeah. seminar?" I don't understand what, <laughs> what they're waiting for. Um, of course, like as the child gets older, like no matter how you, how much how they see the child, they're a, they're a black. If we're talking about boys, they're a black baby boy. They'll be a black mm-hmm. child. They'll be a black they're treated exactly the same as any other black, whether, mm. whether, whether they're mixed or not. They're, they're a black child. In the eyes of the law, they're a black child. So the mm. policeman are going to bat them up the same way. Yeah, exactly. You, me, you, or, or whoever. And I think stuff like that, they need to be prepared for that. Yeah, exactly. Even in like more like, um, like less overt ways, like if you go to school, or if you if your child comes home from school and they and they say that my my teacher gave me this this grade, and I know I know I would I know um it, like he weighed me down. All my white friends got way higher and they didn't do much work. So how are you going to deal with that situation? So, mm. so it's, it's tricky. It's tricky. Yeah, it is it very is. tricky. So, <laughs> I, just, yeah, I just think that parents would need to be prepared for that. 
because that's what like that ultimately like that's part and part of the experience of having a black child having a black child in the uk in america in places it's like a lifetime commitment. it's a lifetime commitment. yeah 100 percent. and it's not just about having oh, a little cute black baby or a little coffee color baby with hair like beyonce which i've heard ridiculous things about this may go a little bit drier a little bit more coarse yeah. In a few years, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and then what are you gonna do? Like, yeah. right. <laughs> no. So yeah, and I think you know, I was on Liz's um, webinar the other day actually about the festivalization of mixed um, the mixed race child, mm-hmm. and that was just so um, so eye opening and fascinating. And it's, there, there's a lot of festivalization in in. Mm-hmm. in in, in translation adoption, I believe. Mm-hmm. But yeah, let's maybe move on from that subject because we could be speaking about <laughs> yeah. all night. It's tricky ground <laughs> to go all the time, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah it's, I think like it's, t- like it's a tough conversation to have, but I think it's a necessary one to have. It's a necessary mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. I mean, I'm going to be doing, I'll be doing a webinar um, with a, a charity. I'll wait till everything's like confirmed, confirmed. But, um, with a, a big kind of child organization in the UK, an um, adoption organization, and it's gonna be about um, culture and identity. Mm-hmm. So I feel like it's, that's gonna cover a lot of that. Um, yeah. And I, I'm, re- I'm really quite keen to, to do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was gonna ask a question. Don't answer it if, um, if it's, not, um, it's not appropriate. But I was wondering like, have you had- Pardon? have you thought that um does your son know that you're gay um so interesting question so i'm i'm open with him at the end of the day he's he's also five do you know what i mean and um you know i am who i am um but i'm not having Okay, so for example, when he first came, he was like, you know, if you get a girlfriend and you get married, then she can be my mummy. And I said, well, that could happen in, in some households. I said, but if, if Papa was going to get married, I probably would marry a man. He says, like, oh, so then if you married a man, then would that mean I have two daddies? And I said, well, yeah, if that happened. And he mm-hmm. said, okay, so can you marry a man then so I can have two daddies? So I think in his, in his <laughs> little mind, I think he's once two parents, like everybody else, bless him. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And then I've got, you know, there's a couple, um, friend couple that, that are married and I use them as an example. I said, well, you know, Uncle So-and-so and Uncle So-and-so, they're married. And they said, oh, I thought they just lived together. So no, no, they're married. And I was just like, mm-hmm. oh. And I said, you can, you know, you can marry anybody you like as long as you love somebody and they treat you nicely and they look after you. Yeah. You can marry anyone. So it's like, okay, I'm going to marry... Uh, then he said the girl's name from class and that was that conversation. So, you right. know, I'm not... I think some people, like I had a, I had an old colleague actually um, it's quite a surprise that he asked me this question because he, he was, I found it a bit ignorant. He was basically, um, so, you know, are you going gonna to bring your child up to be gay? Um, and I oh, said, well, God. that's yeah. a really <laughs> I, said, I don't think anybody brings their child to be gay. I said, you know, he's five, first and foremost. Yeah. So I'm bringing him up to be a, a good person, to have love and respect and empathy for people. Yeah. Well, that's for his business. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm not, it's not that deep. He's five years old. And yeah. So it's really to ask him, like, no, 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 please don't get offended. be offended. But obviously you're gay. He said, but, you know, like, he's such an inspirational person. And he's trying to, like, backpedal and, 
Yeah. May, may I ask how old this person was? Um, um, I would love to know better. Because um, <laughs> that's, that's, I'd expect either like 50 years ago or something. That's no, a good no, question. No, I think I was, this, was, this, was, this, was, this was last year, this year. I think probably maybe mid 30s. Um, and yeah, I just thought, well, he's a child. And, you know, that's, I'm not going to. I don't, obviously, I don't have guys around him because you know, I'm single and I wouldn't anywhere. Just, I'm not into all that, mm. unless it's someone that I was serious about. Um, but, you know, I took him to UK Black Pride. Um, not, not, obviously, there wasn't one this year, but the, the first, the, the one, I uh, can't even speak, last summer. Um, yeah, we were at, we were at that one as well. Yeah. Okay. So, I know, we went there quite early. I think from like 2.30 till 5. So before... Mm-hmm. It got to because when we left, I mean, the queues, Jesus, it was ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I took him back. I thought, you know, it's important to for him to see. And um, you know, as a, as a black person, obviously, growing up in a Jamaican household in the kind of in the in the early nineties, in the kind of that dancehall bashman era, like you know, it was very frowned upon. And you know, mm-hmm. like I'm sure you guys may have done. And I really struggled, and I feel that. Um, you know, I don't really, I'm not gonna, you know, I bring him up with that traditional Caribbean values and, Mm -hmm. you know, all that malarkey, but at the same time, I'm a gay man and I want my child to feel open and comfortable to be who he is. So it's about having these open conversations and, you know, as I said to him, I'm not going to get married to a woman, but if I meet a guy, um, maybe, you know, and and that was it, end of conversation until something else may crop up that might be relevant, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think the the guy who asked you if you was raising your son to be gay, I think you sounded like you had a a, um, a lot more measured. Um, I, <laughs> I think you know he he's an ex colleague, and you know he's you know we're not besties now, but you know he was cool. I've, I've got time for him. Like him, he wasn't like if it was like some random person who I didn't know or care for. Yeah, I have to. Um, now maybe have a different response, but I think, and also he doesn't live in the UK, um, and he wasn't born in the UK. Yeah. Um, he, used to, he used to work here, which is obviously how I know him. Mm-hmm. So maybe it might be a cultural thing or a language barrier. The thing is, he can, I don't want to say language barrier because he's, he's very London in his way. Mm-hmm. I just think it's probably how he articulated it. It wasn't right. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, I'm sure other people probably think that as well, who you would expect better from, so, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Gosh, like, I wonder, like, uh, I wonder, do they think that, like, our parents raised us to be gay then? <laughs> yeah. well, this is the thing, I think, you know, <laughs> quite a silly question, really. Um, yeah. it's, like people, it's like the people that take umbrage to the fact that schools want to teach about all, you know, not all sexualities or all relationships, you know, you've got a lot of the Muslim community and other communities that are really against it and they're thinking, you know, they're good. I, mean, I don't know if they expect him to be like, shown like full on hardcore gay porn in class. I mean, yeah. like, no, we don't, <laughs> you don't show heterosexual Yeah. Explaining to children that there are heterosexual relationships, there are gay relationships, there mm-hmm. are trans relationships, you know, people fall in love with people, people are attracted to people. That's normal. Like, that is normal. It might not be something that certain people might agree with, let's yeah. say, in terms of mm. their own personal preference. But our society is made up of all kinds of people. You know, your daughter might have a gay teacher, your son might have a gay doctor, might need life-threatening surgery. I bet you'll, you'll be okay with the gay doctor performing that surgery. Do you know, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, yeah. mm. It's crazy. Um, I think there's just a lot of ignorance still. 
you know, there's, there's nothing wrong with teaching children that it's okay to be who you are because, you know, many of us, school is a tough time. Mm-hmm. For, 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 I, mean, I definitely struggled. Yeah. Um, mm. Around, you know, sexuality, around that time and identity and have, not having somebody confirm that I'm enough and I'm, it's okay to be me. Like, mm. if I had that, oh my God. Yeah, I think that like when it comes to people who are like so like so critical or so vocally against there being like any education on like on relationships, mm-hmm. relationships, I mm-hmm. kind of feel that like it's always like people's preoccupation with sex, as in like because we're not all they ever think about that's like that's like all we are basically is, is just the acts of sex so mm. all we can all we mm. have to say about it is just about sex which is not age appropriate and obviously that's just so completely ludicrous mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's their insecurity essentially yeah. um do you know what i mean because it is pathetic and it's quite silly and no one's pushing any ideas on anybody and no one's mm-hmm. forcing anything on anybody you know yeah. it's, 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 it, but you know People are people, mm-hmm. and it is what it is. And I think you know, long as um, I mean, things have changed. I think I read somewhere that actually it is across the Europe, across the UK, it is going to be. They are going to um, look at that. I forgot what age it is, but they are going to teach it in schools. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So that that's yeah. good. That's positive. Yeah. Remember, like the straight agenda. Never, um, like, never <laughs> so, so the gay the, like, and learning about um, same sex relationships or about gay or queer people is not going to turn a straight person gay. Like, it just, yeah, it just doesn't work, it just doesn't work that way. It doesn't, but you know, people <laughs> will always have their ideals and their ways of thinking about stuff, and it's just like, you know what, whatever. Yeah, no. As long as, as long as the right steps are taking place and kids uh, are supported, mm-hmm. and kids understand that they've got people to speak to, and they they are enough. Yeah, that, that's much that's a much better um, environment than to what I had like over twenty years ago. You know. Mhm. Mhm. It's amazing. Um, do you want to um, t- um shout out or um, plug your your social media handles and everything? Um, in terms of my my book, so that is lots underscore and lots of love, mm-hmm. um, and they're, they're the two that I'm really looking to plug. I'm trying to make my personal Instagram literally that more personal now, so I've actually deleted a lot of people off it. Um, I feel like I've got <laughs> the clear out. <laughs> The COVID call, the COVID call. <laughs> Lock some bitches out of your life. Let me tell you, cut those mofos. So, um, yeah, the, those, the, I think the, the lots and lots of love, I'm really keen to kind of use that as my main kind of open, that's the only open page that I have. Mm-hmm. Um, all the other ones are, are, are quite private. Um, and I feel like that's just the type of direction that I'm going into now. Um, but yeah, this. You know, give me, give me, give me a shot. And those on the lots, lots of love one, and I'll, mm-hmm. I'll be sharing some exclusive um, pictures um, and imagery, illustrations, should I say, from the book. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that's, that's me. Excellent. That's good. So um, we are Black Boy Joy Podcast. Um, you can follow us on all the good streaming platforms: Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. 
if you subscribe to Apple, then you can leave us a five-star um, review, glowing review, hopefully, <laughs> on, our, uh, on our episodes. Um, you can follow us on Instagram, the Black Boy Joy Podcast, on Twitter, Black Boy Joy Pod. And you can email us at um, blackboyjoypodcast at gmail.com. So, yeah, that's um, another podcast in the can. Uh, thanks once again, Leon, for joining us. It's been a great conversation. Thank you. Great you. talking to you. Thank you, guys. Awesome. Thank you very I'm much. I'm sure we'll speak again. We will sure we speak will. again. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, have to say, I have to send you a signed book, won't I? You will, yeah. Oh, I'm, I, exactly, yeah. Just hold you to it. <laughs> You've got autograph. I have to protect it. <laughs> yeah. Listen, have a good evening, guys, and take care. Alright, thanks so much. Thanks so much. It's like late now, I've got half ten, so we appreciate it.